Good morning, everyone. A uh, very big welcome to our service here at Forest Hold this morning. Big welcome to you if you're joining us here as visitors, and also if you're online. A few things to think about for the coming week, some time changes, some day changes, so here we go. This is Easter week, and we have our Good Friday service at 6.30, uh, when Paul Watts is hoping to come and preach for us, so I would encourage you to be here. And that does mean there's no prayer meeting on Thursday evening. Uh, next Sunday morning, we hope to have our Easter family service. There are some invites in the foyer, and the time change is to 10.30, half past 10, not quarter past 11, for our morning service next week. And then a week Sunday on the 16th of April, we hope to have some baptisms of uh, Charlie, uh, Caitlin in the morning, and Beth Russell in the evening. Uh, a day of celebration. And we're hoping to have a fellowship lunch uh, midday. I know many of you have already signed up and have been allocated food. If you've forgotten what that was, there's a list on the entrance hall. Um, and if you've not signed up, you're still very welcome to join us for lunch on the 16th. Uh, just let Jane know. We also have our communion service this afternoon here at 3 o'clock. Well, it's Palm Sunday, and uh, Mark will be taking up that theme for us this evening. Um, but this morning, we are carrying on the in the I Am sayings of Jesus, and we are at this great saying, I am the resurrection and the life. But first, we're going to sing our first hymn together. The crowds were in Jerusalem singing the praise of Jesus, Hosanna to the Son of David. And apart from Jesus, none of them knew what on earth was going to take place that week, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But we have the benefit of looking back, and we'll do that this morning by joining in with that praise to God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Let's stand and sing this to God's praise. Thank you. 
Bible reading this morning is in the Gospel recorded by John and in chapter 11. That's on page 897 of the Church Bible, John chapter 11, and we're going to read verse 1 to 53. Tom's going to come up halfway through and take over the reading for us. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you now going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After these sayings, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come out to meet Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if he had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Continuing on from verse 30 to verse 53. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, 
saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would, be, would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Thank you, Tom. Let's stand to sing our next hymn of praise. Oh, for a thousand tongues, or we could sing, oh, for ten thousand tongues, to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And after this, Luke is going to take the children's talk. So if you'd like to come down the front, if you're in that category, let's stand to sing.
Well, good morning, everybody. Now, I have brought with me today a Bible verse, which I bet you're not very surprised about that, are you? Because we always bring a Bible verse. In fact, you should always expect us to bring a Bible verse. And so I just want to, uh, if perhaps you would pop it up for us, I need someone to read in a big, loud voice, nice and clearly. Yeah, John, do you want to go for us, Flynn? Is that all right? Brilliant. Thank you very much. Do your work and be happy to do it. Work as if you are serving the Lord. So, who here gets a task sometimes like, you've got to clean your bedroom? Yeah. And is it sometimes, if you clean your bedroom, then you can maybe have like your iPad or your tablet, something like that. Is that something that goes on in your house? Definitely goes on in our house. But you have work to do, don't you? But what would happen, maybe if you went to your bedroom and there's all the stuff on the floor and... Your under your bed is quite clear and you can just push the stuff under the bed. Or maybe you just see this pile of clothes and you're like, I might just scoop it up and chuck it in the laundry basket, even if they're clean or not. Does that kind of thing happen sometimes? Just trying to think of something that might happen, hypothetically. And and sometimes you could do that, couldn't you? Because you wouldn't necessarily get found out because the clothes are then in the washing bin and the stuff's under the bed and the bedroom looks clean and you're like, great, now I can go and do whatever it is that I've been promised. Yeah, could you kind of, could you relate to that, that sort of thing? Yeah. And um, that would be really tempting, wouldn't it, to do that? But this Bible verse says, do your work and be happy to do it. Work as if you're serving the Lord. So you've got to imagine that God has asked you to clean your bedroom. And then you might think, well, actually, perhaps I better not just shove it all under the bed so it can't be seen. Because God could still see it. And what about if um, you're sort of starting the Easter holidays, aren't you? What happens if your teacher said to you on Friday, I'd like you to, um, I'd like you to read this book. I'm not going to check up, but it'd be good if you could read this book over the holidays. What might the temptation be to do there? If they said they're not going to check up, but, but you might need to read this book, what might you be tempted to do? Yeah, not really read it, because no one's going to check up, so who cares? Well, this Bible verse says, actually, you should care. It says, do your work and be happy to do it. Do it as if you're serving the Lord. Imagine that God had asked you to, to read that book. Then you might have done it. And what about if you go to school and you take a packed lunch? Who takes a packed lunch to school? Yeah? So you have all the usuals in here. Sandwiches, crisps, ice rings, apple, and an orange. And when you're eating your lunch, do you some, is there a bin there for scraps? Do you, is there like any leftovers on your plate? And so you've got nice things in there, like party rings and crisps. Like, what might you be tempted to do with the other things? No one's going to find out, aren't they? Yeah, just chuck them in a bin. And it's like with a sandwich. The sandwich, what, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, like the sandwich, which is the best bit of the sandwich? Point to the best bit of the sandwich. Definitely not the crust. So which bit would you go for? Yeah, like a, yeah, you'll have a bite of that. Yeah, don't, don't chuck the crust in the bin. Because no, like, no one's going to find out, are they? But what, what was, what, when you're at home, what does mum or dad say about eating the crust? What do, what do mum and dad say? You've got to eat the crust, haven't you? Because they're good for you, make your strong teeth and give you hairs on your chest or something like that. And it's, so, but, but no one's going to know if you're at school and you can just chuck it in the bin. So, but this, this is saying, you've got to do it as if you're serving the Lord. Imagine God sitting there. And we know the right thing, because we could chuck all the rubbish things away and just eat all the nice things. And, and this, is, this Bible verse, no, we've got to do it as if we're serving the Lord. So when we know what's right and wrong, and we're taught what's right and wrong in Sunday school and at home and in church, and we've got to do these things as if we're serving the Lord. We should always do our best in everything. You've got to, when you take an instruction, you have to pretend that God's, imagine God's asked me to do this. And so therefore, you should be, uh, you should, we should be trying our best. If God, if God asked, to, asked us to read a book, what would we do? You'd read it. If God asked you to eat all your food, including your crusts, what would you do? You'd do it, wouldn't you? So that's the thing. When we know what's right and wrong, and they're just little things, and the Bible is full of instructions for us to do, that we know that are right and wrong, and we, sh- and we should do all these things and be happy to do it. That's what the Bible verse says, doesn't it? Be happy to do it as if you're serving the Lord, not just as if you're serving men or people. So if mum and dad have asked you to do it, but we should do all things as if God has asked us to do it. Wouldn't that make a difference to our day? When we're tidying up our room, what might we do with the pile of clothes then? If God asked us to do it. 
What might, what, might they, what might we do if God asked us to tidy our room? What would we do? You'd just do it, wouldn't you? Yeah, we'd do it well, wouldn't we? We wouldn't just shove it all under the bed so no one can see, because God can see everything. I was going to say a little prayer, because we've all sat here really well. I'm going to say a little prayer, and then we can go back to our seats. Father, we pray that you will forgive us for the times when we were a little bit careless and we don't do things as we should and as we know are right. So, Father, we ask that you will change our hearts and help us to do our best in everything, no matter what it is, whether it's schoolwork or tasks at home or in church. Lord, you can always see us and we pray that we will have a proper servant heart and that, Lord, we will do our best in everything. We'll try our hardest in everything. And you know that sometimes we're not... Uh, that we. we that um, that we try our best and it's not always good enough. But Lord, we pray that we will always try and serve you to the best of our ability. So help, help us to be willing and to be good servants, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seats. Thank you, Luke. Well, let's uh, pray together now, shall we? Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, help us as we join together in prayer now. You are the living God and our very lives are dependent upon you. Everything that we have is a gift from you. And so we have so much to thank you for as we meet together this morning. We thank you for the health and strength that we have had this week, even if it has been a struggle for some of us. We thank you that all of us have been sheltered from the weather We've all had food and drink. We've all had useful things to be doing. And we can say, like David, that our our cup runs over with your blessings. You are not meagre and tight with your blessings, but you lavish on us good things every day. And as we come at this time of year, more especially, to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and how that you did not spare him, but gave him up for us all. We think of the amazing love of God in astounding grace to send a saviour to rescue us from our rebellion, from our sinfulness, that we might be made children of God. You are worthy of our worship, of our devotion, of all that we have because of Jesus because he humbled himself, because he made himself a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, that as the name of Jesus, every name should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the praise and glory of God. And so Lord, we worship you because you are God, there is none like you. You are the beginning and the ending. Lord, we praise you for all that took place as we think about this coming week and try in some faint way to think of what took place throughout this week in the life of Jesus on that, um, in that time of suffering, in that time of um, the innocent being accused as guilty, the way, Lord Jesus, you were treated, the way you were humiliated, the way you were crucified, the way you were tortured, the way you were insulted and mocked. And Lord, we we are amazed at such love that in that you were laying down your life for sinners. We thank you for the resurrection that Jesus broke the power of death. And Lord, though there is so much evidence for the resurrection, the eyewitness accounts, yet people remain, many people remain hard in their heart of unbelief. And though people have said, if I see a miracle, if I see someone brought back to life, I will believe. But Jesus said, you won't believe, even if you see a miracle. And there might be some people here this morning, Lord, who, who are waiting for you to do something dramatic and are stubborn in their unbelief that they won't believe until you speak to them personally. And yet you have revealed all of your truths in your word. And we are indeed dependent on your Holy Spirit to 
bring us life, to rebirth us, to convict us of our sin, to show us our need of Jesus and lead us to him. It is all your work. So Lord, we pray that you'll be working in our hearts today as we hear from the Bible. Open our hearts that we will receive your truth, that we'll be changed by it. Lord, I pray that if we are wayward and going astray in our sin, we might have even professed to be Christians, but there doesn't seem to be much evidence in our lives anymore of that. Lord, we pray that you'd change us, you'd stop us in your ways, that you'd turn our lives upside down the right way up, that we'd be following Christ and be devoted to him. So Lord, as we go through this coming week, help us to spend time meditating on your word, to, to think of the cross. We pray that we will come back to the cross in repentance for our sins and put our trust in him. Lord, we commit to you this coming week and pray that you will be with Martin and Stephen at the prison in this next episode of Exploring Christianity in the Prison. Lord, we pray that your word will be making sense to those men and that it will be uh, rooting deep into their hearts and their minds, that they'll be changed and indeed be set free spiritually, though they might be bound physically. Lord, bless that time, we pray. We thank you for first steps, that they have a, a bit of a break. We pray for the leaders and the team that that will be a welcome break for them. But we're so thankful for the many people that have been coming along. We pray that the books that they went home with about Easter will be read. And though they might be very simple, we pray that the good and simple news of the gospel will be at work in people in our locality. And Lord, it is our prayer again that some of those children will start coming to our Sunday school. Lord, we really ask for that. We pray for the Easter service on Sunday morning and we pray that there will be many parents that come along to that, both from First Steps and Sunday School. And we pray again that it will be a time when the gospel is clearly proclaimed and understood. Lord, please work, we pray. Lord, we thank you for our Pastor John. We pray for him and others from our church who've gone to Word Alive. We pray that will be a time of blessing for them. Lord, we thank you for what the children have heard this morning in the children's talk in Sunday school and the older ones in Rooted. Oh Lord, we do pray that your word will be sown into their hearts to bring life, to bring fruit in their young lives. We pray for your blessing on them. We pray that you'll bless those of us who are parents and have that great responsibility of training our children. We feel in many ways that we have failed them we feel that the school uh, and the influences outside of our home are so strong on them. What they take in, what they hear, what they come to take as normal. And Lord, we're just so concerned about that. We pray that you'll give us and help us to take many opportunities to counteract that with the word of God, with truth. And above all, the example that we set in our lives, to love them and that they will see that we love God and are devoted to his word. Lord, please save our children while they're young. We pray that they won't waste their lives for themselves. We pray that all of us won't waste our lives any more than this day forward. But the Lord, we'd commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him. Our lives are so short, eternity is so long. We are either saved or we are lost. So Lord, impress that on our hearts today, that we might seek you with all of our heart. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus and his great words, and we pray that you'd help Mark as he preaches this morning from this great saying of Jesus. We thank you that because of him there is hope. We thank you that because of him death is not the end for those who have faith in Jesus. Here now I stand in the garments of righteousness. Death has no hold, for in Jesus I stand. Lord, we praise, if you, praise you if we can say that this morning. So Lord, hear our prayers and pray your blessing on each one of us through the different needs and struggles of our lives. We pray that we'll live by faith and not by sight. Amen.
Before Mark preaches for us, we're going to sing our third hymn. And the chorus goes like this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. What a great privilege it is to, if we know and have faith that Jesus lives. Let's stand to sing. Well, so far in John's Gospel, Jesus has turned water into wine, he's healed the sick, he's fed a huge crowd with not much more than a lunchbox, he's walked on water, and he's given sight to a person who was blind from birth. And then we get here to John 11, where Jesus faces his most difficult challenge yet. A four-day-old corpse. How will Jesus fare when he comes face to face with death? I don't know about you, but I'd love to read this account for the first time, wouldn't you? As I was uh, preparing this message this week, I was thinking, imagine if we all came and none of us knew what happened. Imagine how exciting that would be. Problem is, it's one of the best-known stories in the Bible, and we also had it read to us by John and Tom, so we know The ending, at least if we've been listening. But even though we know the ending, this chapter packs so much power because it deals with the reality, but also the conquest of death. Death is something that will, or has, massively impacted 
every single one of us. As one person said, no one makes it out of life alive. None of us can sit here this morning and think, well, this doesn't apply to me. We don't like talking about it, do we? Not many of us bring it up in normal conversation. We find it hard in our culture to talk about death. We push it to the sidelines as much as we can. We try and drown it out where we can. Even hospitals and hospices are wonderful things. But again, they separate us from death even more than maybe in the past. But it never goes away, truly, does it? It has impacted, or it will impact, every single one of us. Some of you may be increasingly aware of your own mortality. Maybe due to age, maybe due to a medical diagnosis, maybe for some other reason. How do you feel as the thought of death is on your mind, perhaps more than it was before? I'm also very aware this morning that a good number of you have lost those you deeply loved. Losing a loved one is one of the most painful experiences we can go through on earth. Here in John 11, Jesus gives us hope in a way that nothing else can. If we get this chapter this morning... It has the ability to not only transform how we live, but also how we die. This chapter is raw and it's real. But it's also filled with power and with triumph. And this account is filled with surprises as well. We're going to go through this story pretty rapidly. We're not going to look at everything. Sadly, there are some things that I would love to talk about. And I'm not going to do that this morning. For the sake of time, I might come back to them another time possibly But for this morning, we're going to pick out some words that go together in the story that wouldn't normally go together in normal life. So firstly, first two words, illness and glory. Illness and glory, looking particularly at uh, the first four verses. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So Lazarus is ill. He's from a a village named Bethany, which is just over the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. It's a very short walk, about two miles or so. That's where they are. But Jesus is some distance away. Jesus is up north. So Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, send a message to Jesus. It's a good idea, sending a message to Jesus. There's no doctor like him. And Jesus is a good friend to them as well. It talks about Jesus loving Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They're like family to him. And notice that there's no direct request in verse 3 for Jesus to do anything. They didn't need it. You've probably all either experienced it or seen it when, um, when someone comes up to a parent or maybe someone comes up to you and they say something like, Peppers really hurt themselves. You don't need to say, do you, can you come and help? If that parent cares about the child, they will run to their their hurt child. This is what happens here. They come to Jesus and they say, "Your, your friend who you really care about is seriously ill. We know he's ill enough for them to send a message to Jesus. But verse 4 says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God... Jesus, may be glorified through it. Jesus hears the message and he replies as if he knows about it already. But it sounds like he makes a mistake. He says, this illness does not lead to death. And yet, as we heard when it was being read, it's not much later when Jesus is standing outside the tomb of Lazarus. It's not that Jesus is overconfident here. It's that he knows that death is not ultimately where this story leads. Some other translations say this. They say, this illness will not end in death. Jesus knows that Lazarus will die, but he also knows that that's not the end of the story. That is not the end. This story will end with the Son of God, Jesus himself, being glorified. That's where it will lead to. Verse 4 tells us what this account is really 
all about. Now, when I was a teacher a few years ago, um, we always had to have a learning objective back then for the kids. Something that you wanted the kids to go away with. That was the focus of the lesson. If they didn't get that, the lesson wasn't a good lesson. That is what you wanted them to go away with. And this morning, God's learning objective is for us to see the glory of God in Jesus. If we go away from here this morning and we haven't got a sense of God's glory, if we don't go away glorifying Jesus, for whatever reason, then we've completely missed the whole thrust of this chapter. That's what it's really all about. Illness and glory. Secondly, love and delay. Love and delay. Says now, this is verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Well, we've already seen, haven't we, that family-like love that they've all got for each other, really close friends. So what do we expect to see? So Jesus dropped everything that he had and he ran out the door as fast as he could. I quite like watching um, Saving Lives at Sea, BBC documentary on the lifeguards around uh, the UK. And um, the, the emergency phone call comes in, the siren blares, and quite often people aren't at the station, but they might be nearby working at the fish and chip shop or whatever. And they drop everything they've got and they dash to the station, they get dressed, they get in their boats. And those boats, sometimes they go painfully slow, don't they? And it'll take like, it'll be like 20 minutes or longer to get to an emergency. And, and you're like, come on! Get there. Time is of the essence. And uh, often they get there in the nick of time. Well, it's probably because they just show us the most amazing ones. But, but so often they get there just in the nick of time. And it's what we expect from Jesus. Expect Jesus to drop everything, dash down to Lazarus, get there quick. But that's not how Jesus reacts. So, this is verse 6. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Surely, Jesus, if you cared, you'd go to Lazarus. Kind of looks like you don't care, Jesus. What are you doing? But it specifically says, Jesus loved them, so he stayed two days later. When was the last time that you wanted something from God or you wanted God to do something in a certain way. For a lot of us, probably not that long ago. How do we feel when God doesn't act in the way that we want him to? Or doesn't react in the way that we expect him to? Does he really love me? Does he care? Is he listening? Is he punishing me for something? If I was a better Christian, I'm sure God would answer my prayers quicker. Often we want things done right now, don't we? God, to hear and answer our prayers straight away, the way we want it done. You know, it may be that the reason God's not answering your prayers is not because he doesn't love you, but it may be because he loves you. And that may seem confusing. You say, well, how does that make sense? I mean, think of the story. Because of the delay, Lazarus went through death. Because of the delay, Mary and Martha went through the anguish of watching their brother die. We'll see their grief in more detail in a bit. How can that be loving? Because Jesus has something in store for them that is even better than healing Lazarus. You know, it may seem to Mary and Martha and to Lazarus himself that things are going horribly wrong. But God is going to use this to glorify his son Jesus and to, to show his power to put it right. You know, sometimes we may need to remember that God may love us so much that he forces us to wait for him to act so that we see his glory in a way that we never would otherwise. So Jesus waits two days, and then he says, let's go. And we see death and gladness. Death and gladness. Death and gladness are certainly not two words that you'd normally see together, especially if it's a close friend like it was with Jesus or a family member. In the time it's taken for the message to get to Jesus, and for Jesus to respond, Lazarus has died. 
Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And then he carries on, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad that I was not there to heal him before he died. How can he say that? Think of poor Lazarus. But Jesus says he is glad for your sake. In other words, everyone who was listening to him at the time. And now, all of us, as we listen in, Jesus is saying, I am glad for your sake that I was not there to heal him. Why? So that you, we, may believe. He's glad he was not there in time so that we may believe. Jesus is glad because he now has the opportunity to show his power over death. So that we can see firm, solid evidence of who he is and how powerful he is. And the result will be that our belief and our faith in him is massively strengthened. And as we face fears and sorrows in life, and we will, we can know that nothing is beyond the power of Jesus. Jesus knows that we need him more than anything else. So Jesus knows that the thing we need more than anything else in life is to trust him and to know his power. And as we believe him, he is glorified. He is glorified by our belief in him, which is the purpose of this whole miracle as we saw in verse 4. So Jesus finally arrives at Bethany after some travel. And when he gets there, he finds a village filled with grief. We see grief and hope. Grief and hope. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. In those days, mourning was a very um, public and a very loud thing. Communities and relatives were often very tight-knit. Um, in a way that we're not so much now. And they would all come together and they would all weep together. Often at funerals now, many of us battle our tears. We try and hide it away. But in those days, it was expected that they would weep together. People would wail. People would beat their chests in, in, in their grief. And Martha hears that Jesus is coming. And she runs out to meet him. And Martha says, if only you'd been here. If only you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And then a little bit later, Jesus calls Mary to come out to him. And Mary comes out and she falls on his feet and she says, Lord, if only you'd been here. If only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You can feel their pain, can't you? Imagine their emotions as they sent that message to Jesus and then waited for him to come. Come on, Jesus, where are you? You should be here by now. And Lazarus dies, and they think it's too late. It's too late. But I want you to notice two things as we look at this. Two things. The first is that Jesus weeps with them. Verses 33 to 36. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. I hope this is a comfort to those of you who are grieving at the moment. Jesus doesn't tell you to stop crying. He cries with you. Yes, we have that confidence that death is not the end. Jesus had that more than anyone. That's the amazing point that this story is making. Death is not the end. But knowing that doesn't take away all the pain and the tears. Jesus is deeply upset at how death has affected those he loves, those he cares about. And he cries. And he's not just upset. He's angry at death. That's the kind of the meaning behind this phrase, greatly troubled, that we see here. He's angry at death. Death is so wrong. It's caused so much damage to the the world that he so lovingly created. If you are grieving, 
and angry at death. Jesus is there with you. But secondly, and I think even more importantly, Jesus points Martha to who he is. Martha's come to him, even in that state, showing signs of belief. She knows that even now, God will answer Jesus' prayers, although she's got pretty limited understanding of exactly what that might look like. And just like the vast majority of Jews in that day, she believed that there would be a resurrection of all uh, those who followed God in the last day. She had that belief. But Jesus wants to give her and us something far more immediate, something far more tangible, something very real, concrete, to show us that through him there is hope even in the darkness. Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just that God chooses to do amazing things through Jesus, it's that Jesus is God. It's a huge statement that he makes here. Jesus is saying, I am the source of life. He explains what he's saying. He says, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live. Well, we're going to need proof of that, aren't we? Well, hold on for a bit, because we'll see it shortly. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus offers true spiritual life here that will never end. These are huge claims. Jesus is saying, I can raise the dead, and I can give you a true spiritual life that will never end. This is the hope that Christians have. You know, hope in the Bible isn't a sort of wishful thinking type of hope. It's a a sort of confident expectation. After this uh, message, we're going to sing a song, God willing. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. Jesus says to Martha, he says, do you believe me? She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. But even she struggles at this moment to get her head really around the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here. We'll see that now as we look at decay and resurrection. Decay and resurrection. Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odour, for he's been dead four days. It's like, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you know what happens to bodies in this climate? It's so hot. It'll stink. His body's been in there for days. It'll decay. Martha still isn't getting what Jesus is about to do. She hasn't grasped the magnitude of it, fairly unsurprisingly. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they take away the stone and Jesus prays. And then he cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I'd love to have caught people's reactions on camera as that happened, wouldn't you? Glenn Scrivener from Eastbourne, he says this, he says, put yourself in the shoes of those present at the tomb. They had come to pay their respects to a friend and his family. They had come to do the only thing we know to do in the face of death, mourn. But instead, they got front row seats to the most spectacular victory over the most tyrannical enemy. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Perhaps you find your head, find it hard to get your head around that this morning. In fact, if you don't, it's probably because you haven't really understood what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus has shown us that he can back up his claim. Have you ever thought about how Mary and Martha felt when they got older? We don't know how they died, but when they got older and maybe they, they knew they were near to death. Have you ever wondered how they felt? wonder how Lazarus felt. Maybe he thought, oh, here we go again. 
But I bet they didn't fear death in quite the same way as they had done before Lazarus was raised. Because now they, they had very real, tangible confidence that their friend Jesus would be able to raise them up again at the last day. Death would not have the final word in their lives. One day he will raise them up again to true life with him. And that is the hope that we have if we put our trust in Jesus. If we follow him, he will raise us up too, like he did Lazarus. Death will not be the end. Victory will be the end. It's actually different to Lazarus because Lazarus did die again. We'll be raised again to the eternal life that he talks about. Jesus being glorified will be the end. Death will not win. I read a story this week um, of someone they were talking about, Barbara, who they worked with, and it was in relation to this passage. This person writes, The person working closest to me was a woman named Barbara. She was a model of conviction and hope, whose heart was devoted to the church and its ministries. For six months, I valued every moment in which she provided advice and inspiration to continue in the ministry. And then one day, Barbara gave me a phone call I will never forget. She said she had a brain tumour, which explained the gradual deterioration of her otherwise athletic physique. The tumour was inoperable. I watched as Barbara wasted away. Two months later, just before she died, I remember Barbara taking my hand and talking with confidence about her faith. She knew this was hard for me, and her last words to me were these. Don't worry about me. I'm about to go on the greatest adventure of my life. Soon after, she died. This story is important because it says that Barbara's confidence in death was not a shallow optimism that denied the anguish of her experience. She looked it straight in the eye. Her confidence was grounded in the strength of her knowledge of Jesus Christ. She knew him. She knew who he was. And just to finish briefly, there are two reactions to all of this. Two reactions, belief and plotting. Belief and plotting. Verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. They saw and they believed. Praise God. This is what Jesus wanted at the beginning. That people would believe. In fact, in the very next chapter, uh, we see that the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus because of what had happened to Lazarus. I always find it a little bit amusing that they were planning to put Lazarus to death for rising from the dead. (laughs) Quite a tricky project. But so many believed. But others went to the chief priests and the Pharisees and they told them what had happened. And it says, so from that day on they made plans to put Jesus to death. Isn't that a contrast here? Those who believe, those who want to worship Jesus because of what he's done. And those who want to kill Jesus, get rid of him. What's your response to Jesus this morning as you hear about these things? Do you think, wow, I believe? Or do you think, I want to get rid of Jesus? You know, when we understand who he is and what he stands for, really those are the only two options we've got. In just a few days, Jesus himself will be put to death. But in just a few days, we will be celebrating Easter. Next Sunday morning, we'll be celebrating Easter when Jesus himself will have his own resurrection. Uh, Easter's so much more than Easter eggs and those things, good as they are, isn't it? We say this all the time. But isn't it so good to remember that actually, because of Jesus, death has been defeated. And though it still causes so much pain, it will not have the final victory. Do you believe? Well, if not, or if you've got questions, Easter's a really good time to think about some of those, to investigate for yourself. And if you want to know more, come and chat to one of us or chat to a friend that you know because I genuinely don't believe there's anything more important that you could investigate. Well, we're going to sing our final song.
Just going to read a few different bits of it. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong? And then unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ he lives. Christ he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. Oh, sing alleluia. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing alleluia. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Well, let's sing and celebrate Christ our hope. Father, I thank you so much for how we see Jesus glorified in John 11. Lord, we thank you for that wonderful account. Lord, I pray that you'd be particularly close to those who have really felt this this morning. Lord, comfort them. Lord, I pray that this may strengthen our belief in you. And Lord, we thank you for the book of John as a whole. That as we get to the end of it, it says these things are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
and that by believing we may have life in his name. Lord, I pray that we'd go away from this place encouraged in that truth and glorifying Jesus in his name. Amen.